Let's pray. God, we, we ask that you transform us into a people of good cheer. Uh, I ask for your aid uh, to help us all. Thank that you want us to be people with cheerful hearts. I thank you for your kindness, uh, your presence, and your salvation uh, that you've given us. May this sink in how, how deeply precious your presence is uh, with us um, in the good and the bad of our lives. Uh, let us appreciate you and not take you for granted. Uh, I ask you, Lord, to help give us the spirit of gladness and contentment, uh, which we can't produce on our own. Uh, may your spirit bring new life in us, freshen our spirits. May you bring new ways and eyes for us to see our circumstances that brings us joy in you and not what you've done for us in our circumstances, but joy in you and who you are. Help us uh, regularly rejoice in you, Lord, uh, in the losses of our lives, in your silence at times, in our prayers, moments of sadness and moments of celebration. God, I ask you to reshape our insides and let us let you rule instead of us fighting you and let us receive your life. I ask you to enable us to, to rejoice in your ways and the fruit of your spirit that you're trying to produce in us. And with all that's going on around us, Lord, I ask you do, to do open up opportunities for us to share your life and joy with others. Uh, I pray for Eric Forrester and the team, uh, Lee, Stephen and Ron as they head down to the Mexicali orphanages this week. May you bring them opportunities uh, to share your life and joy to those who you lead to them. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. Help us uh, grow in our relationship with you as we um, deal with the circumstances of our lives and of the world. In your son's precious name, uh, amen. When Jesus was on earth, God Nabat. Yes, he was that. Uh, during Jesus' ministry, he did many things to prove that he was, in fact, the Son of God. Like what? Uh, lots of things. Yeah, he healed the sick, made the blind see, walked on water, cast out demons. Yes, he did all that. Made the lame walk, turned water into wine, made Peter catch a whole bunch of fish, raised people from the dead. Yeah, we don't have time to cover all those great miracles, so let's just focus on one of my favorites. Jesus didn't start his public ministry until he was about 30. Jesus' ministry was in full swing. Not only did he have 12 disciples, he had masses of people that followed him around, people that wanted to hear everything he had to say. They had heard that he healed the sick and the blind, and they came to him with all their troubles and to learn from the master who offered hope. Jesus, Jesus, can you help me? My daughter is very sick and she may die. Jesus, are you the Messiah that the prophets foretold? Jesus, is it true you came to save us from the Romans? When has come to Jesus that his cousin, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded by Herod? Jesus was understandably overwhelmed as the masses pressed in on him, so he decided to take a break. So he got in a boat to seek refuge. But the crowds followed him still. 
The poor. The broken. The helpless. The sick. The curious. And Jesus had compassion on them, and he healed the sick. So as the sun began to set, the disciples were ready to pack things up and go get some dinner. They said to Jesus, Jesus, there are a lot of people here, and it's a pretty desolate place. There's not a Chick-fil-A or drama juice around for miles. Mmm, food. Let's send the people back to town so they can find food. They need to eat. Jesus looked at his disciple and said, You feed them. The disciples were perplexed. How could they feed all these people with no food? Jesus, how are we going to feed all these people with no food? Yeah, all we have here is, is this boy that has fish and bread. How are we going to feed the masses with this boy's lunch? This isn't even enough for an afternoon snack for me. Now, when we say masses, we mean 5,000 people. Actually, it was probably more like 20,000 people. We mean 20,000 people. Wait, what? I thought this was the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It is, but the Bible only counted the men. It doesn't account for the women and the children. Wow, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of hungry people. So, wait. You're telling me that Jesus just learned that one of his closest friends, his cousin, died. Not just died, but was brutally murdered. And he had compassion? He did. I mean, that was Jesus, though. That is Jesus. He was fully God. But he was also fully human. He hurt like we hurt and grieves as we grieve. He knows our pain and struggle. So Jesus took the kid's fish. And then he blessed it. And suddenly, you've got yourself the world's largest picnic. That's pretty amazing. One kid's tiny lunch and thousands of people leave with a full stomach. Yeah, our God is a big God, and he's able to do abundantly more than we can ever ask or even think. Ephesians 3.20. He's a God of miracles. He's our provider. So take your loaves and fish. Your time. Your income. Your gifts and talents. And give them all to Jesus and watch what he can do. So for today's scripture reading, I'll be reading from Psalm 36. Please listen as I read. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Give justice to those with honest hearts. Okay, I'll now dismiss the kids and youth to their classes. Kids and get out the back right door and youth out the back left. And I'll invite up Brian for today's sermon. Well, that's a hard act to follow. I didn't get any. All right, toss it. Hey, bravo, bravo. I'm tempted, but I won't, yeah. Okay, goodbye kids, muzzles off. Well, let's pray together. Our Father, we come now to your word, and we think of our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. 
And we pray you would do for them what you did for Ruth with more abundance of loyal love, unending. There'd be much left over to feed others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing our studies in the book of Ruth, examining how God's kingdom comes to earth in an age of moral deterioration, political disaster, and civil war that characterized the book of Judges. For Israel, that came in the most unlikely place, Moab, through the lives of two bereaved widows who were caught up in God's chesed love, which is unfailing love for the helpless. As we saw last week, the purpose of Ruth uh, is to illustrate the many facets of God's chesed love and the rewards that accompany those who practice it. To review, or if this is your first week here, um, chesed is, uh, it takes about 17 English words to really cover its meaning, but basically it is a loving commitment within a relationship where one party finds themselves helpless and in a situation that threatens their survival, and the other party, motivated by compassion, acts to meet that need. It is a voluntary act of extraordinary mercy and generosity, often going beyond the call of duty. As we find in Ruth's vow to Naomi, after she repeatedly urged Ruth to turn back to her family in Moab, where there was a future. Let's read Ruth's vow together. Stop pressures me to, to get, no, wait, try it again. Stop pressing me to leave you, to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That's quite a vow. And Ellen Davis notes that when Ruth made that decision to accompany Naomi to Bethlehem, she became in her own person not only a widow, but also an orphan, having no father or adult male in the household to protect her. And she also became a sojourner, an immigrant, a foreigner. And thus she embodies and embraces the three classic biblical categories of vulnerability of those in need of protection within the covenant community. And as we will see, Ruth is the first of several vulnerable protectors in this book as her example of Hesed love moves other into the incalculable risk and joy of coveted relationship. So what we find in Ruth is that Hesed is contagious. And so our uh, proverb today that will describe our journey is Proverbs 3, 3 through 4. Let not steadfast love, hesed, and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. 
And so in chapter one, we saw Ruth binding Hesed around her and making it a vow. And in this chapter, she's gonna be seeking favor uh, in the sight of God and men. And so she continues her acts of Hesed. So verse one of chapter two. Now Naomi had a relative, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So after enduring the agony of a family whose males were wiped out in Moab, the narrator gives us a hint that good news is on the horizon. Naomi has a relative from her husband's clan. And like all the other characters in the story, his name is significant. Boaz means, in him is strength. And his stature is further highlighted by the distinctive description, he's an ish gibor chayil, literally means a man mighty in strength or a man of valor, mighty man of valor. Now the title is most often used of physical power in reference to warriors. But here it suggests a capable and powerful man with wealth, and as the story unfolds, it speaks volumes of Boaz's moral character. Verse two, and Ruth, then Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Well, during the 100 miles plus walk back to Bethlehem, Ruth must have wondered how they would survive with no means of support. And I suspect Naomi instructed her on the Lord's generosity as creator and his compassion for the poor and the sojourner. Now in Israel's codified laws, God created a safety net for the poor by giving them ownership of the gleanings left by harvesters. And we see in Leviticus 23, Moses writes, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And to make the point, that's repeated another two or three times in the Torah. Well, the divine intention of all of this um, is that no one in the land would ever go hungry, nor would the poor lose their dignity as their initiative and hard work was required to bring home the bacon. And as an added benefit, the poor would become visible and recognized in the community rather than shuffled off to the ghetto. And so you'd have the rich landowners and you'd have the poor there in their fields uh, to make face-to-face -face contact and have a relationship. And when this scene opens, we must not forget the trauma that Naomi and Ruth have endured. Carolyn James notes that the kinds of losses Naomi and Ruth suffered, loss of a spouse, loss of a child, financial collapse, and a major move, are among the unwelcome life events that trigger depression. Wounds afflicted by traumas of this magnitude do not easily heal, and the accompanying painful memories have a remarkable stain power. I remember after our son died, you know, you have that first kind of horrific grief and the tears and people surrounding you and then everybody goes home and there is this pale that comes over you and this tremendous void that lasts at least a year as you have to go through all the events of holidays 
uh, without the person that you love. And so we can reasonably assume that both women are battling depression, even Ruth, as that gloomy pall hangs over after all the arrangements are over. I think even the simple task of getting out of bed in the morning can be difficult when you're in grief. It's never easy to carry on with life in a world that has been emptied of a loved one. Now all that is to say that Ruth demonstrates remarkable faith by taking the initiative and requesting Naomi to let her go and glean after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Facing the same depressing realities as Naomi, she allows her choices to be shaped by her holy vow. You know, gleaning for food as an unattached young woman in a foreign land was a scary proposition. Harvesters could get rough and gleaners were often mistreated and went home hungry. Nonetheless, her request exudes a confident expectation that God is at work and that something new may happen in the fields of Bethlehem today. Now the verb glean becomes the theme word of this chapter. It is found 12 times, always with Ruth as its subject, which demonstrates that passivity and maintaining the status quo are not something you'll find in Ruth's toolbox. So Naomi grants her permission, calling Ruth my daughter, affectionately acknowledging her adoption into God's family. Verse three. So she sent out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And by chance, she just happened upon the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And look, Boaz is coming from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Well, by sheer chance, the Hebrew makes it emphatic, chance to chance, at least from a human perspective, it's chance. Ruth happened upon the portion of the field that belonged to Naomi's relative. And at some time later, she looks up. The narrator uses behold, so you see it from her perspective. Here comes the owner of the field, approaching to check in with his foreman on the progress of the harvest. And Ruth happens to be at just the right place at just the right time. What happens next is music to Ruth's ears. Boaz greets his workers with, the Lord be with you. And they respond with, the Lord bless you. Now some commentators suggest that these are just conventional greetings of the day, but I strongly disagree. Against the dark backdrop of the book of Judges, where God's name was blasphemed on a daily basis. These words resonate with holy beauty. Hearing the love and respect these men have for each other and their faith, summoning, summoning the covenant-making God to be present among them must have caused Ruth's expectations to soar. So by wandering into this particular field, the grieving, impoverished, socially isolated Ruth has just entered a sanctuary of God's presence. <laughs> it's gonna be church in Bethlehem. Verse five. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. So Boaz wants to know who this young woman is. It was interesting, my dad never said anything about any of my dates until I took Emily out. And then when I got home, he goes, who was that blonde bobber you were with last night? And it uh, turned out great. <laughs> well, Boaz asked the foreman about the identity of the unknown woman who was gleaning in the field by probing her family origins. And the immediacy of the question, I think, communicates a lot about his character, that people are more important to him than profit, especially those who are vulnerable. Well, the foreman identifies Ruth by her national origin as the Moabite, who came back with Naomi. Then he gives Boaz a sterling assessment of Ruth's character. First, he notes that she asked permission to glean and gather among the sheaves, notice this, after the reapers. That was a highly unusual request which he apparently had granted before Boaz arrived. Then he's amazed how she worked nonstop with unusual industry, barely taking time to rest. To understand the nature of her request, Carolyn James writes, typically when harvesting a field, hired men went first, grasping a handful of standing grain stalks with one hand, cutting them off at the base with the sickle, then laying the cut stalks on the ground. Following the men came female workers gathering and binding the cut grain into bundles to be carted to the threshing floor where kernels of grain were separated from the husks. Gleaners came last and were forbidden in the fields only after both teams of hired workers finished and bundled sheaves of grain removed from the field. Now that was the accepted pattern. But Ruth is on a mission for her mother-in-law, and she boldly requests that she go to the front of the women, immediately behind the harvesters, before the sheaves had been gathered up, where there was plenty of new cut grain. Dr. Hubbard says, Ruth showed herself to be anything but a modest, self-effacing foreigner. Rather, she emerges as courageous, if not slightly brash, Probably aware of possible rejection and ostracism, she willingly took a sizable risk in order to benefit her mother-in-law. You know, sometimes newcomers have a way of showing us that uh, as a culture we've settled into this kind of narrow, easy obedience, tidy conformity to the law that falls really short of what God demands. You know, we, we give our 10%, that's it, we're fine. The law says glean. The spirit of the law says feed them. And then says, how much do they need? If you've watched the news in Ukraine, it has been amazing to me to see this horror of this demonic leader and the destruction inside. But then if you look closely, you see all this Hesed love outside. And one of these people is the famed chef, Jose Andres, and his nonprofit World Central Kitchen. They set up facilities across the country to provide meals for people fleeing from the war. 
They were on the ground day one after Russia invaded, day one. And then they began partnering with restaurants in the country. They have served 300,000 meals at hundreds of locations in 12 Ukrainian cities. And now it's sites in Poland, Hungary, Romania, and Slovakia for all the refugees who cross the border. That is Hesed. That is Hesed. Well, what will Boaz do? Verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, have you not heard my daughter? Do not go to glean in another field and also do not pass on from here and so shall you cling close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. You can see this, his saying has a chiastic structure which is a beautiful way to, by framing what he's saying, he's really bracketing these wonderful events. And this is really spiritual direction that he's giving her. On the one hand, don't do this. On the other hand, do do this, focus. Stay behind the young women. Let your eye be on what they're reaping. And then what brackets it is his protection. So notice first though, he addresses Ruth as what? My daughter signaling that he accepts her as a true Israelite and a chaste young woman. And he knows that Ruth is not likely to find favor elsewhere in Israel at this time, and so he instructs her how important it is not to leave his field, and he's to cleave to the female workers, that's the same word used when she cleaved to Naomi, gathering the sheaves and to stay focused on where they're reaping, which is normally off limits to gleaners. Now in order to ensure her safety, Boaz instructs the male workers not to lay a hand on her or to chase her off. And finally, if she's thirsty, he instructs her to drink from the water jars his men fill rather than seeking refreshment elsewhere and losing precious time in gleaning. It's remarkable. So, verse 10, then she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, to recognize me, since I am a foreigner? Hmm. I think many of you have been immigrants. Many of you know what it's like to come and not know the language. Many of you know what it's like to be snubbed, um, to be tentative about where you go. Um, and when you get a reception like this from someone, <laughs> It's so heartwarming. And she's confounded by this unexpected protection and generosity, so she falls to the ground in an exceptional display of gratitude. She's so surprised and overwhelmed that she as a foreigner has found favor in his eyes. If you wonder why that might be, what made Boaz sensitive to immigrants, in his lineage is Rahab the Canaanite prostitute. And I'm sure that lineage taught him sensitivity to outsiders. So Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. 
and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is the climactic center of the scene. As Boaz reveals that his kindness and generosity was motivated by Ruth's unprecedented acts of Hesed love to Naomi and Elimelech, which has been front page news in Bethlehem. With praise and admiration, he affirms what Ruth solemnly vowed to Naomi as following in the footsteps of Abraham, who by faith left country and family to a land he didn't know to follow God. Now Abraham, however, he was given the promise of infinite blessings in a new land and descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. Ruth, who was barren with no male protector, had no such promise. And I think that takes greater faith and why she becomes a mother in Israel. And now that Ruth has arrived in Bethlehem, he's seeing with his own eyes the enormous risk she continues to take as she earnestly gleans to feed her mother-in-law, so he prays that the Lord will repay her according to her unfailing love and full reward, just as he promised to Abraham. Genesis 15, 1. God told Abraham, your reward will be great. Now the final image, seeking refuge under God's wings, that comes right out of Moses' song, Israel's national anthem, of God finding her in a desert, circling her, caring for her as the apple of his eye, and then taking her under his wings. That image places this young woman at the center of God's care and protection, not to mention puts her at the heart of Israel's redemption story. I was thinking about that image Friday night and I woke up um, Saturday morning a little emotional. It's the first time I'd truly seen um, how this was my wife's story. Her middle name's Ruth. And when I asked her to marry me, it wasn't coming to riches because I was leaving my Stanford education to go raise support to be an intern. So we gleaned for two years. And then in our early years, she faced nothing but death. Just like Ruth and Naomi. Two children, her mother, her father, her sister and stepfather. And now we're almost 50 years later and I know how God has rewarded her. So Ruth said, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me. You've spoken to the heart of your servant, though I am not like one of your servant girls. 
So she humbly accepts his grace. She hesitantly claims her new identity as a maidservant. And then it's the first time the narrator pulls back the curtain behind her bold exterior and we see into the inner workings of her heart and the all-consuming grief that she had been laboring under. Boaz's kindness and gentle words went straight to her heart and causes her to long for more of Boaz's favor. And she doesn't have to wait long, fortunately, because Boaz approaches her right at the noontime meal, verse 14. At the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. She sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate again until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Sounds like the feeding of the 5,000, doesn't it? So after granting Ruth exceptional privileges to glean, he invites her to the intimacy of his table at noon alongside the paid workers. And I could just see him excited like a little maitre d', you know, puts on his robe and offers her the seat and then starts serving her himself and serves her with more roasted grain than she can eat and sends the rest home in a doggy bag for her mother-in-law. This is probably the first time Ruth has had a good meal in 10 years. Carolyn James captures the moment. She says, this is a powerful gospel scene. It's the kind of thing Jesus was doing all the time. A gleaner sitting alongside paid workers, a Moabitess dining with Israelites, a man serving a woman, the poor included with the rich, an outsider embraced by the inner circle. And I think it shows us the importance of always crossing social barriers breaking societal rules to raise the dignity of the marginalized by sharing a meal with them. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed the young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and don't rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So after granting Ruth these exceptional privileges, Boaz ensures that she will not be hindered in carrying them out by instructing the men not to touch or harass her in any way. And in addition, he instructs his workers to assist her by pulling out stalks of the cut grain, placing it in her path. You notice what he's doing? It's like the feeding of the 5,000, but this is the human version. <laughs> he is making them responsible for her success. He's giving them the privilege of participating in acts of hesed, loving sacrificially honoring her publicly. That's why when Jesus would ever heal a woman or like the hemorrhaging woman who's unclean touches him and he, what does he call her? He says, my daughter. <laughs> and then he publicly affirms her to put her in the community as an equal, 
So he doesn't leave until that happens. The Syrophoenician woman, she has to heal her demon-possessed child. It's a Gentile. He says, you don't give the, 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 the bread to, 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 to dogs. And she says, well, the, all the dogs need are a few crumbs under the table. And he sees such faith in the Syrophoenician woman. He says, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. He elevates her with her faith as a Gentile. Boaz's generosity and workers' cooperation, this is what I love about this. It doesn't make her lazy. I can't stand people when they argue, we shouldn't help the poor because they'll get lazy. Are you kidding me? I just think you're greedy. He's helping the poor in such a way, it doesn't decrease her initiative, it increases her initiative. And this is beautiful mystery between God's grace and initiative, and it circles around to where at the end, she's got an ephah of barley. That's 29 pounds. 29 pounds. And in that era, a male's working take-home wage for a day was not more than one or two pounds. What she took home is about half a month's wage. 15 times what Boaz's harvesters were gonna receive in a day. So lazy. Your grace made her all the more effective. That's the way we need to help the poor. Creative ways to increase their initiative. Honor them. I love who's, forgot the name of the guy. This was, a, I think it was an all-black college, and all the graduates are up there, and they all got these heavy loans. The guy says, it's all forgiven. He paid it all. <laughs> See, it wasn't a handout. It was an education that gives them more initiative. So she heads home. She took it up and went into the city, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And now put yourself in Ruth's place. Can you imagine the anticipation of joy she's going to have when the door opens and Naomi sees this? On the other hand, think of Naomi all day. She sends Ruth off and she has no idea did she find the right place? Was she abused? Did she just get meager gings? Why is she taking so long? Because she's there a long time beating out this barley. So for Naomi, I think it was endless hours of torture, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then the door opens. And I think the shock and the joy in Naomi was as much as when Mary saw Jesus raised from the dead. It's resurrection. There's no way to describe it. And if that's not enough, sing the barley, there's more. She opens up her cloak and here's a McDonald's already. So you don't have to take that barley and then work hours to prepare it. You can eat right now. Here's the full meal right in front of you. And at that point, I'm sure Naomi's head is just spinning. Where were you? And her mother-in-law said to her, verse 19, where did you glean today? 
And where have you worked? Blessed be the man, Mazel Tov, who took notice of you, who recognized you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, and she holds it to the very last minute, <laughs> the man, name with whom I work today is? <laughs> so even before Ruth had a chance to answer, Naomi's offering blessings to her unknown benefactor. And then she kindly gets the name Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, again, may he be blessed by the Lord whose hesed has not forsaken the living and the dead. And Naomi also said to her, by the way, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So the news triggers an immediately, a dramatic transformation in Naomi. All her grief, all her bitterness, sorrow, evaporates instantly as do under the heat of the sun. May he be blessed of the Lord who's not stopped showing hesed love to the living and the dead. Remember, every prayer in this book, every blessing comes true. Then she reveals to Ruth the good news that the landowner is one of their relatives. And Ruth the Moabite said, verse 21, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by the young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you should keep next to his young women, not the men, lest in another field you be assaulted. It is dangerous out there. So having learned that Boaz was a relative, that gives Ruth fresh understanding of why Boaz has given her extraordinary gleaning privileges for the duration of the harvest. I think Naomi thinks Ruth's a little naive, so she slightly but profoundly corrects her understanding that she's not to stay close to the young men, but to stay close to the young women, lest she be assaulted. Verse 23, so she clung to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law, and they lived happily ever after. Not quite, but it's a nice way. It's a lot nicer than the end of chapter one. Well, Ruth went back to work in the fields of Bethlehem day in and day out for seven weeks from Passover to Pentecost. And during that time, Boaz's field continued to be a sanctuary of protection, abundance, and communion under the wings of God's hesed love. But Jeff, remember, this is only temporary. The harvest ends, and then what are they going to do? That's next week. Well, this ancient story, I think, is taking on astronomical proportions in Ukraine today. You know, in Ruth, there was a famine and death. In Ukraine, it's mass genocide and destruction. And yet, acts of Hesed love too numerous to count encircle the horror. When the refugees get off the train in Poland, they're not just given food to glean. They're given gifts. Those are all the strollers, things left at the train station for these young mothers. That's Hesed. I've been especially moved by my good friend and Connie Fortunato. She is the founder of Music Camp International. 
For over 30 years, she's worked with orphans and children and handicapped kids with special needs in Romania and the Ukraine. And in one week's time, she cates the kids nobody wants that had been thrown away, and she transformed them into a choir singing classical pieces with philharmonic orchestras in these countries. She is a modern-day Ruth who believes God can do the impossible and she has no fear of facing Goliath-like opposition. While the rest of the world seems paralyzed by government bureaucracy and small-mindedness, she believes God's kingdom of raising the poor from the ash heap has already invaded the present and is available to any who will lay hold of it. Now, her work in Rukane become one of her prized efforts. She worked at three or four different centers and concert halls. She began working in Kiev for a school that housed the blind. And when she went down the halls, she noticed that these children were treated like animals. You know, in communist days, if you were, had special needs, you, you lost your identity card. You were not a person. These kids were just passive, nothing. Then Connie came in with this gift of music. She put instruments in them. And in a week, they were playing perfectly with these orchestras. At one point, the Ukraine group of kids she has is 1,200 kids in one setting. And then amazingly, it was 2.14 when the war was going on in East Ukraine. Bullets were going by inside her hotel room. And in May of that year, she was named Honorary Ambassador of Peace for Ukraine. She's the only non-Ukrainian ever to receive this award and by the president. So now the pandemic hits, now the war starts. What does Connie do? Well, she's planning on putting on music camps for 500 to 600 children in the five countries housing the refugees from Ukraine. That's Romania, Hungary, Slovakia, Moldova, and Poland. She's gonna get five to 600 in each place, half Ukrainian refugees, half youth of the host countries, and create this wonderful unity, create the singing, and when she's got the five done, she's gonna put them all together in a choir of 2,500 children to sing in stadiums to bring courage and hope to people through the gospel. That just blows me away. <clears throat> That's Hesed love. Hesed love. I'm going to call the uh, music team up now, and uh, we're going to have uh, communion. I can't think of a better text to lead into communion. And, um, you know, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, he's always inviting people into his circle, but the night before he's betrayed, he invites his disciples into that intimate upper room, as intimate as you can get. And in that moment, he takes the role, not of a waiter, but as a servant, and he dons a towel, and he gets down his hands, his knees, and he washes everybody's feet. Because we always need cleansing. Our benediction comes from Psalm 90, which was a prayer of Moses 
Let your work be shown to your servants and your gracious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, the work of our hands and the Ukrainians. To God be the glory. Amen.